0: This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hambridge. Today on Episode 6 of Season 3.
1: It's really a specialty market, because you're probably trying to hit a spec, whatever that is, or we're looking for zero toxins, you know, or, or zero heavy metals, or something like that. It's a specialty market all the way through, even if you don't consider the crop a specialty crop.
0: Chris Wigger joins the show to talk about his unique role in the pulse crops industry. As both the Chief Business Development Officer and Chief Sustainability Officer of Healthy Food Ingredients, Chris has a great sense of various pulse markets and the ins and outs of maximizing value from these crops. Based in Watertown, South Dakota, Chris and his team at Healthy Food Ingredients contract organic, identity-preserved, and other specialty pulse, small grain, and oilseed crops. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what customers are demanding when it comes to pulses, including allergen-free, identity-preserved, and other specialty markets. We also talk about the importance of sustainability messaging to consumers and food companies, and one that's important for everyone who works in pulse crops to understand. One caveat of this episode, just so you know, is that this conversation actually took place back in September of 2021. So any references that we make to market conditions would only apply to that point in time. Well, to kick things off, I asked if Chris would provide us a brief introduction to himself and to Healthy Food Ingredients.
1: Uh, We've got four processing locations. I oversee our sustainability and sales team. Now, with that being said, I've done everything from QA to logistics to procurement. I've sat in all those chairs. I've been doing this for about a decade I've just recently taken on that sustainability and sales piece within the last year or so. So I'm um, really excited about that. In regards to production facilities, all of our facilities are in the upper Midwest, Watertown, South Dakota, Moorhead, Minnesota, Valley City, North Dakota, and then Hastings, Nebraska, uh, are where our four what we call owned facilities are. We do outsource some, you know, if somebody wants a pre-cooked something or something like that. But 99% of our business is in one of those processing facilities.
0: Well, if you aren't familiar with the name Healthy Food Ingredients, there's a good chance you might be familiar with some of the brands that are now under their umbrella.
1: So Healthy Food Ingredients really started five, six years ago with a group of folks that started putting companies together. And a lot of these companies you'll recognize. SK Food Out of Fargo, North Dakota was the first company that came underneath the HFI umbrella. Immediately after that, Hesco slash Dakota Organics down in Watertown was purchased. And those two became one underneath that HFI umbrella. Now, that was a real good marriage. You had SK food in the pulses, soy, that allergen-free space, pretty much anything without gluten in it. And then you had the Hesco Dakota Organics doing primarily cereal grains. So those two entities came together to initially start HFI. Then from there, Centavo Purple Corn was brought underneath the umbrella, which is a proprietary purple corn. We process all that in Moorhead, Minnesota. They didn't have any processing, but they had the corn. And then last has been Heartland Flax, which is in Valley City, North Dakota, was acquired three or four years ago and came underneath the same umbrella of HFI.
0: The combined company is really establishing themselves as a go-to provider of specialty grains, pulses, and oilseeds for food companies.
1: Anything from CPG companies to cracker companies, bread companies, canning companies. We're in the specialty grain markets with flax, chia, quinoa. We can do one-pound, four-pound packages of that, so we do some co-manning in that space. So it it really varies. Primarily food. Um, All of our facilities are food grade. So we're primarily in that food space, but we're in the middle. We're taking that product from the farmer. We're putting it into whatever form that end user wants it in. And then we're sending it to the end user to make the final food, typically. The exception to that is our retail pack, where we're just maybe putting a pound to four pounds of a product in a stand-up pouch. But then going into a retail venue of some sort.
0: Chris says customers usually coming to healthy food ingredients for something really specific that they can't get through normal commodity channels.
1: It's really a specialty market. Even if it's corn, it's a specialty market because you're probably trying to hit a spec or you're a non GMO corn or you're something specialty in corn. So even though it might be corn and everybody goes, well, everybody goes corn. Well, it's corn, but it's corn that we're looking for a higher protein in or we're looking for a certain color of or whatever that is. Or we're looking for zero toxins, you know, or, or zero heavy metals or something like that. It's a specialty market all the way through, even if you don't consider the crop a specialty crop.
0: And a big part of that specialty market that has really emerged in recent years are allergen free products.
1: Pretty much anything you can grow in the upper Midwest, we're really segregated by allergen. I mean, really, that's the way the food industry has kind of gone in the last 10 years or so, is really focused on those allergens. So all of our gluten processing is in Watertown or Hastings, Nebraska. All of our allergen-free processing, which includes no more soy, is in Moorhead, Minnesota or Valley City, North Dakota. So depending on your customer base and what they're after, you know, the gluten-free market obviously drove some of that six, seven, eight years ago where, you know, we saw that market really exploding. So we started separating our facilities by allergen.
0: And when you're talking about something as important and as specialized as allergen-free, Chris says the entire process from farm all the way to consumer needs to be fully aligned.
1: Yeah, all of that. It starts at the farm, believe it or not, Tim, with combine cleanouts, equipment cleanouts, semi-cleanouts at the farm, bin cleanouts at the farm. You know, just ensuring that farm equipment is clean at harvest time. It starts all the way there and then it goes all the way through the chain with trucking and finished goods and incoming inspections and last three loads on that truck. You know, those kind of things all get into that conversation. And a lot of it at at our incoming, you know, then we've got protocols set up with testing and visual inspections that alleviate any of those risks actually getting into our building.
0: Ensuring this type of allergen-free designation takes a lot of communication and collaboration with growers, as does another type of specialty market that they're often serving, which is identity-preserved, or IP.
1: Almost everything we sell is IP. So, you know, we don't have the 100,000-bushel bins. We've got the four or 5,000-bushel bins, sometimes even 1,000-bushel bins because we're keeping that grower or that product very segregated so that we can trace that all the way through the chain for our food grade certification. So if we ever had a quality issue, you know, we're not set up where we're going to have 10 growers in the same bin. It's just not going to work that way because we're going to want to be able to trace that quality issue all the way
0: back to the farm. But you may be asking yourselves, how does that happen in practice? It seems incredibly tedious, for example, to know exactly where every shipment of pulses came from. Chris says they're able to do this, but they're not necessarily tracing it back for potential problems, but for potential opportunities.
1: So for us, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier because we've been doing it for so long. And we do all that through a lot coding system where, you know, that lot code upon incoming will identify where that came from. And then that base lot code. So the first four or five digits of that lot code regardless of what form we have in it, will always stay the same all the way to the customer. So we can always identify that all the way through our system. Even if it hits two or three different plants, we can identify that beginning lot number right away. And then we don't mix that lot number with anything else. I mean, and really we're tracing that. Everybody thinks of bad things. We're tracing that for good things because if everything works just perfect for that customer, we want to talk to that farmer again. It's not bad things. Um, It's it's actually the opposite of that of, hey, you know, what did you do? What's the fertilization program look like? How much rain did you get last year? There's just other questions. than we ask if everything worked perfect through to the customer.
0: Healthy Food Ingredients is also uniquely positioned for the rise of plant based protein, which Chris says they've seen coming for quite a few years.
1: You know, we see that, and we've seen it actually probably longer than the consumer has, because all the R and D is typically done ahead of that marketing. <laughs> but it's been there. You know, that's the only space we've ever been in, so we we don't know anything any different. So it's it's not really new to us, but we have seen the interest definitely pick up in the last few years. You know, COVID's made that interesting. Crop years have made that interesting, but it's the market is out there. It's just whether or not we can fit that niche based on growing region and product in finished form.
0: While there will certainly be some ups and downs, this area of plant-based protein products coming from these protein isolates is certainly something food companies are interested in expanding in the future.
1: Well, we don't necessarily do it, but I that's fine. I think the proteins, you know, the isolates, the proteins, those kind of things seem to be blowing up I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. I think that we're going to see more of those isolated proteins because they're moving protein numbers in finished food. You know, they want to make a granola bar where if they used a whole pea, they might be only able to put 16 percent protein on it. But if they use a, a pea powder that's been dehydrated and has concentrated the protein, they might be able to put 30 grams of protein on that. So I think you're going to see food companies playing around in that space a little bit of what different kind of ingredients can move labeling. And all of that, I think, is going to be a kind of this edible space, just because, you know, whether it's peas, edible beans, chickpeas, you know, they all kind of fit in that legume category. There's going to be a lot of customers playing around with ingredients in that category.
0: So what we focused on so far has been the part of Chris's job that deals in business development of finding new opportunities for products and sourcing those crops from farmers. The other part focuses on sustainability, and I wondered if this might be a new role for HFI and what exactly a chief sustainability officer does.
1: Yeah, so it is not a new role in the company. We actually combined it. It was a standalone role I was doing uh, for a year or two before this. And it really started based on customer requests, just like anything else does, where we really started looking at on farm programs and identifying practices that, that customers wanted to do, tracking those practices, collecting that data, getting all that data to those customers, and then letting those customers run with it with a marketing or, or claim they wanted to make. And we're still in that space. It's a very unique space from the standpoint that what customer X and customer Y want are two different things. It's not like we can develop a program that just encompasses everybody. If you ask any company what their sustainability program is, it's not going to look like any other companies. There's going to be some similarities and some things you recognize, but it's also going to be things that are important to that company that maybe weren't so important to the other companies. So, so we've remained very flexible in that space. We love talking in that space. And our niche in that space is getting that customer all the way to the farmer To get the practices or data that they want from the farm. And that's really became our niche in that space. Now we're doing some things as a company as well, you know, our own initiatives. We're looking at a, you know, a net neutral carbon footprint here in the next year or so. So we're doing some things internally in that space too, just because we think that's the right thing to do. Just that's kind of our values. But our real niche in that is working with a customer based on what they feel is important. And let's see if we can get all the way to the farm to, to help it.
0: Well, the hot topic in sustainability lately has been carbon and understanding the climate impact of food and ingredients. Chris says even with their close connection to their farmer suppliers, there's still a gap in being able to track all of those metrics.
1: The issue we have in that space is tracking mechanisms. Yeah, we can use formulas and we can use, EPA's got formulas out there and all those sort of things, but from a carbon reduction standpoint at the farm what does that mean does it change based on environment and i would tell you it does so that same carbon footprint on that same farm on that same acre from year to year even if you were growing the same crop which we don't want to do would be different and a lot of people are starting to to really dig into that and figure out i think you're going to see some interesting technology in that space in the next couple of years where you're actually going to see ground probes and other things that are that are linked to satellites and other things that are really measuring organic matter, water infiltration, all kinds of interesting buzzwords that are really going to then give real good data to the consumer.
0: But if the consumer gets that really good data on tracking sustainability metrics all the way back to the farm, are they going to pay more? Are there premiums available for this type of information out there?
1: Yes, but there's a limit to that conversation, right? I mean, obviously it can't be three times as much more. It doesn't work. But yes, there is. The give and take in that space isn't necessarily cost point, it's volume. So the food industry itself, direct food sales doesn't use that many acres. It really doesn't, right? I mean, you know, we may have a customer that needs 80,000 pounds of product. Well, for a farmer, that might be 35 acres. To me, that's more of the conversation in that space between customer and farmer is, sure, we can sure do whatever you want. But just understand you're really looking at 35 acres of product. And then trying to figure all of that out, both with the farmer of how do we segregate that and and store that for the year and, and all those sort of things. The farmer has to be willing. So the farmer isn't really, in my opinion, making a bunch more money. It's not necessarily a premium because they're going to do a little more work. Just because of the segregation and we're going to call for a truck, you know, we may need three truck loads all year and we're going to call every three months for a truck and they're going to have to load a truck on a day they probably don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's there's a lot of give and take in that space where I would argue it's not, quote unquote, necessarily a premium. It's it's the extra paperwork and labor they need to do to provide that product.
0: Even more important than the conversation about getting paid for carbon, Chris says, is the overall conversation about soil health, what it can do for the long term viability of not only the consumer, but for farms, food and the planet.
1: I'm using the word soil health a lot more because that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to create healthier soils so that our top soils live much longer than they're anticipated to live today. And to me, that's the conversation in that sustainability or regenerative or whatever that word is you're using in that space. It's how do we make that acre on that farm healthier than it was last year? And there is a lot of opportunity in that. There's a lot of ways to do that. It's not a scary conversation to even most farmers. It's just let's start talking about how to do that versus an annual crop tillage tillage another annual crop. Are there other mechanisms? And that's where I think the ag industry can really connect the dots is how do we take, you know, an acre that's maybe not had anything other than corn and soybeans on it for 10 years and get a different crop on it? Or how do we get a cover crop on it that's 18 species? So that after there's soybeans, now we're putting 18 species with all the good bacterias and everything else back into that soil after that primary crop. Those things, are, I think, are very easy to talk about if if you're in the space, and they are hugely sustainable. Now, all those things cost money. All those things have other things that go with them. But to me, it's not necessarily a buzzword if you're in it for the right reasons. If you're in it to do soil health initiatives, in my opinion, sky's the limit. If you're in it just for a marketing scheme, then yes, you can play with that word and do whatever you want. And those people will probably be out there, but I don't see very many of them. Most of these customers that we work with are very serious about it and they want to make a difference on the acres they're sourcing product out of.
0: Well, as we get ready to wrap up today's episode, I wanted to get a better understanding of the farmer-marketer relationship. Chris and his team are buying a lot of products that cannot be hedged. And I wondered, how do they protect themselves from big price swings that might move against them?
1: There's no hedging in our world. <laughs> so so that, that's not a word we use. Um, that's why we like that. You'd be surprised year in and year out. If we're about 25% long, we're generally going to be about right on because we're going to run into some quality issues or a hailstorm or a drought like this or something else that is just going to, something's going to have happened on a few of those acres that we, we don't end up with that product anyway. So it's actually a lot closer than you think on a typical year, a year like this, it wasn't enough. We're not even close. We've got all of our contracts to the farmer written with an act of God. So, in an essence, like a drought year, those sort of things, that farmer is not responsible to get us that product for that price. We don't do that, but at the same time, we tell our customers the same story that, hey, you know, if we have an act of God event're we're, we're going to need to talk to you about replacement product and where we go get it and all that sort of thing. So that's a give and take on both sides too. But this is a year where the market's going to be short in a lot of commodities.
0: Well, if you're listening and you're maybe a grower who's interested in filling some of that demand that he just talked about, Healthy Food Ingredients does both forward contracting and spot buying of these products depending on the needs of their customers.
1: We'll do a lot of forward contracting, you know, probably starting in that November, December, you know, go through pre-planting. But then we'll do like a year like this. We're doing a lot of harvest buying because our forward contracts just didn't end up with the bushels and pounds we thought they would. So we're also doing a bunch of what we call spot buy. We're in the market. We're looking for additional product. We're trying to find it to satisfy customer needs. And that's different year to year. We have customers that, that like being booked up for multiple years. Um, where they like to know that price stability, you know, is there, works real good for the producers. You know, obviously in these up markets, everybody doesn't like it, but when the market's going down, it works very good. Um, so th- there, there's all kinds of different ways we can work with a producer and write those contracts. But a lot of that does go back to our customer base and what they're asking of us and, and how to do it and how soon they're giving us information. You know, if we have a new customer come to us and anytime after May. We're going to be in the spot market. You know, if a customer comes to us now and doesn't need product till next November, we're going to forward contract.
0: Now, before we end today's episode, Chris said that if he could just have one simple, clear take home message to the pulse crop growers that he works with, it would be this
1: Grow that product like you are going to feed it to babies. And keep that in mind while you're growing it. You're going into food, and that's a much different mental state than you're going to deliver to an ethanol facility or a soy crush facility or, or something like that. But that's literally, it becomes a big garden. And that's the mentality you have to have when anything happens, whether equipment breaks, whether whatever it is, if you wouldn't feed it to your own family, we shouldn't be feeding it to other people. And so that would be the one, the one thing I, and I don't know if it's advice or just more of a mindset that that's really the mindset we like to see people think about. And I go all the way to infants with it, because if you wouldn't feed it to a baby, let's not move it down the chain.
0: All right. Well, big thank you to Chris Wiggert for taking the time to talk to us on today's show. It's exciting to think about the potential of these specialty markets for Pulse Crop growers. If you'd like more information on what they're doing, you can visit their website, which is hfifamily.com, and I'll make sure we include that link in the show notes as well. If you're a subscriber to the show, we've got another great episode coming your way very soon with Shauna and Terry Farver of Farver Farms in Montana. We use the lentils that we grow here on our farm and we turn those into a value-added snack product. So lentil crunchers and we also have some mixes as well. But the lentil crunchers are kind of our flagship product and um, package those up, ship them right from our plant here in Scobie. So make sure you are subscribed on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss that upcoming episode. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council and the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Program. We're releasing these episodes two times per month throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure this information stays relevant to you. If you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And feel free to tweet us by using the hashtag growingpulsecrops. We'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks.